0: Welcome to the Marketing Stir podcast by Starista, probably the most entertaining marketing podcast you're gonna put in your ears. I'm Jared Walls, Associate Producer and Starista's Creative Copy Manager. The goal of this podcast is to chat with industry leaders to get their take on the current challenges in the market, but also have a little fun along the way. In this episode, Vincent and AJ chat with Michael Buteneff, Global Marketing Director, Strategic Growth at MasterCard. He shares, as he calls it, his meandering career journey that touches on molecular biology and music publishing, among other things. He also discusses in-depth the current state of the marketing event space. AJ has some thoughts on public transportation, and Vincent claims he knows how to drive. Give it a listen.
1: All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's me, Vincent Petrofessa. That must mean one thing and one thing only. It's Sturistas, the marketing stir. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for listening again. I am one of your hosts, Vincent Petrofessa, the Vice President of B2B Products and Partnerships at Starista. Who is Starista? Let's pay the bills real quick. I just like saying that. I heard it on like radio shows and podcasts. It's not really paying any bills. But Starista, we are a marketing technology company. We actually own our own data, business to business, business to consumer. We help companies utilize that data to get new customers, email acquisition. We also own our own DSP, Adster. We can help use display, CTV, OTT. That's that's it, that's all. That's the only pitch about Starista. Oh, thank you so much for being here. The other person who's here, who's with me all the time on this, my shotgun. He's riding shotgun or I'm riding shotgun to him. He drives, I don't even drive. I live in New York City. Ladies and gentlemen, my commander in chief here at Starista, San Antonio's finest, Mister Aj Gupta. What's up, Aj?
2: Hey, Vincent. You'd actually appreciate this. Uh, there's a bus station that's opened up uh, pretty close to my house, and it's it's massive. The funny thing is, nobody uses buses in San Antonio, so it it just kind of exists, and it's massive in a uh, in, in an area where uh, I, I would think the land is pretty expensive there. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we occasionally see a couple of buses. So I, I thought a few this morning, actually, as I was crossing through it and thought "Vincent uh, would use it. Well, all
1: right. Well, let's unpack what you just said there a little bit. <laughs> so you, when you think of buses, you think of me as someone who rides public, uh, public transportation. Public
2: transportation. Public yeah, transportation.
1: Yeah, you, you, you know the crazy part, actually, in now at uh, Port Authority, I've taken the bus. The bus, that's a, that's a unique uh, uh, people set on that bus there i I, i've taken the bus (laughs) a few times never actually in manhattan only leaving it and you said massive and kind of a waste of space so let's explore that as well aj uh you know, I love that you think about me when that, that comes to. Uh, <laughs> <you're>...
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if I would go that far. No, it. no.
1: That's what I heard. I don't know if our guest heard that about me. I'm kidding. I'm <laughs> kidding. We know you love uh, the, the people out there. Know, uh our, our love is real on the marketing stir here. But uh, yeah, you wouldn't think people take public transit in San Antonio. I didn't see any of it. I'm yeah. actually forced to drive when I go to San Antonio to visit you guys. Yeah, we
2: actually had to check your license, I believe, last time you were there just to make sure you could drive.
1: It's it's an old one. I always tell people I have a license. I just don't drive that often. I know how to drive. It's just like just enter the car at your own risk. That's what I tell people. <laughs> but yeah, it's been... Uh, it's been a long time since I've like driven consistently, especially when we go on road trips. My wife loves to drive because she gets car sick. It's a whole other thing. I'm uh, like, all right. Yeah, anyway. But what's good? Any plans for the weekend?
2: Yeah, we got this uh, uh, final match of our Saturday tennis league. So it's a it's a big one. And uh, you you wouldn't believe the kind of uh, pressure I'm under as the captain to uh, select certain players. You would think this is a life and death situation. but.
1: You put yourself in these situations, you know, you're, you're the captain of the SS starista of the, is it the over 40? No, not the over 40 tennis league. I'm sorry. You're not 40 yet.
2: Is this over 18? But thank you for checking.
1: (laughs) Well, people who follow the marketing stir know the, your tennis escapades, but let's get to a new escapade that we have here. I am extremely excited about this next guest. Let me tell you why a number of reasons. One, of course, it's a company that everyone's heard of and don't. Yep, that's great. But we're from the same area. We're from the same era. We love a lot of the same music. He's involved in B2B. I'm involved in B2B. So I always love to hear that. I love our guests who talk about other things, but I especially love B2B. So let's give a very warm welcome here On the marketing stir to a gentleman from mastercard yes that mastercard heard of it the global marketing director strategic growth ladies and gentlemen michael butenev michael what's going on
3: hey vince how are you doing i'm hanging
1: in there i noticed my voice cracked at the end apparently i'm still going through puberty at 42 but hey uh that's the marketing stir
3: it's never, ever too late for that, you know?
1: <laughs> it never is. Michael, thank you so much for joining us, calling in from Westchester County, my old stomping grounds there, born and raised in uh, one or two towns over from Michael. Ah, oh, so great to be here. I want to get to some of those things I talked about. I want to get to the personal side. I want to get to the, the music. I want to get to the all of that fun stuff as well. But first, let's get to also some fun stuff. It's the marketing stir. So people want to talk about that. For those of you, everyone knows MasterCard, right? So a lot of people think the credit card's right off the bat. But I want to have people learn more about what you do at MasterCard. Your division, it's different. So can you talk about that and your role within the company?
3: Sure. I mean, you know, look, look. When I when I was first tapped uh, for an opportunity at Mastercard, at that point, my impression of the company was the same as everyone else's. Mastercard is a credit card company, um, and the reality is, uh, Mastercard has really grown way beyond uh, just payments. Um, I mean, it's it's invested and made acquisitions in the space of cybersecurity, blockchain, artificial intelligence, data and insights. Um, and it's also diving into new industries, and it has been for some time, such as governments, transit, you were talking a lot about buses, so it, ha- it has extensive relationships with, you know, hundreds and hundreds of cities around the world, helping them um, um, launch new forms of payment, new ways of uh, executing digital flows to help transit companies run what they run in, in their particular cities. So yeah, strategic growth is really, um, it's, it's one of the businesses at uh, MasterCard, which is honestly run there are a lot of different components to it. it. It's truly meant to be a unit based on looking at new opportunities, whether they be industry focused, uh, philanthropy driven, even, or working with governments, etc. And, and that's where I work. That's where I work and play every day. And it's it's a big challenge, but it's a lot of fun.
1: And and tell us a little bit about you know specifically what you're doing there within your role.
3: Sure. So um, I, I'm as you said, I was the I'm the global marketing director. So um, that. Includes a mix of activities that kind of cross um, product marketing, event marketing, uh, and digital marketing, uh, generating demand, uh, progressing pipeline, et cetera. So a lot of different activities depending on where, what stage that particular business unit happens to be at.
1: And and Michael, I want to talk about how, uh, we always love this question here because it's not always a, a straight path right to marketing, but I was looking at your educational background. And I would imagine it wasn't a straight path, you know, based on what you studied to marketing. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got into it?
3: Yeah, you know, I, I re- really had kind of a meandering uh, journey in my career. You know, I started um, uh, in college. I was a molecular biology major. Fine, I was wearing a lab coat and being a geek in a lab, looking through microscopes and creating DNA. It was very weird, but a lot of fun. Uh, but then I immediately graduated and went into the music industry. I had this huge interest in just music. Uh, I wanted to start a band. Um, and I joined a company called Harry Fox Agency, which is involved in uh, music publishing, IP rights, etc. And in doing that, I got to work with companies like Napster and MP3.com, which I, I don't know how, how many of your listeners will even have heard of those companies at this point. It might just be you and me, Vince and Ajay. Um, But uh, at that time, those the digital music re- revolution was in full swing, and it was an amazing place to be. I was at the right place at the right time and that made me decide to get an MBA. Uh, I I wanted to sort of dive into startup culture and the startup environment, and that was my uh, entry into it. And shortly after that, um, I worked for a couple startups in uh, search engine marketing and stock photography and a few places. They were a little bit, they were somewhat unstable experiences. I got laid off at one point, I left another, um, and then I decided to go corporate. So uh, I, I joined Nestle and spent an amazing seven years at a company called Gerber Life Insurance Company, which is just straight up growth digital marketing, you know, all day long for seven years. It was a huge dive into that the, the space of, you know, search marketing, display, social, et cetera. Um, and then I uh, spent four years at IBM um, in, in cloud and consulting and telecom, a few different roles there. Um, and then I joined Mastercard about two and a half years ago to join strategic, uh, strategic growth.
2: Michael, what's been kind of a highlight for you while being at Mastercard over the last couple of years?
3: Yeah, there have been several. It, it, you know, being because strategic growth is so dynamic, it really shifts based on where we see the tides going and new business. You know, the, the businesses I work with really range in spectrum from seven-figure revenue-generating businesses to, hey, I've got this business model I want to pursue. Can you help? Um, so it, there have been several. But I, I would say one of, the, one of the most notable ones recently, uh, we launched something called the City Possible Summit. So the Global Cities team uh, is really focused on reaching local governments. Uh, they've really made quite a, he- quite a lot of headway over the last couple of years, building relationships with cities all around the world. And the City Possible Summit was a, an all-virtual summit Uh, with uh, kind of a thought leadership event spanning a full day where we brought in city leaders, technology partners, academic innovators, as well to speak to big topics and challenges that were reaching that industry. Um, And, you know, of course, in the pandemic-facing world, uh, going virtual is what you need to do, but this was truly an outstanding event where you love to see an event that where your executives and EVPs and presidents are super excited about it because you're successfully building the brand, but you're also simultaneously making your sales teams happy because you're generating opportunities um, at a scale that makes them very happy. So uh, across the board, that was just a phenomenal success for us.
2: That's great. Uh, And so this was a virtual event that was planned during the pandemic and happened during the pandemic?
3: That's right. That's right. I mean, really launched truly in in response to it. Uh, We were looking to launch our inaugural City Possible event as as kind of almost a physical event initially. Um, We completely shifted, of course, and went digital. Um, It was a massive three month long project, but uh, uh, really turned out quite well for us.
2: Amigo, how's the pandemic in general? It sounds like you've had to make some changes with the conference, of course, like everybody else. But how's the pandemic in general affected you and the company?
3: You know, we, um, you know, some some the pandemic was really painful for some companies, and some for some companies is very helpful. Um, We were really fortunate in that we spent about a year and a half before the pandemic building relationships. uh, What's core to City Possible. And then again, this is just one business within strategic growth, but um, it was port- part of its evolution was the creation of something called the City Possible Global Network. And it's really a, a group of cities that have committed to collaborating and contributing to discourse to identify common challenges, co-create solutions, etc. That's all a backdrop to say, we built these relationships before the pandemic happened. And that was really true, Proved to be extremely valuable to us because when the pandemic did hit, and these cities that are really, when you think about local governments, local governments are on the front lines helping and working with people that live in their cities. Uh, these cities were suddenly challenged to find ways, you know, how do I disperse aid digitally to people in an environment where we're not, we're trying not to invite people to come to public spaces, where we're trying to tell people to socially distance. And a lot of cities weren't set up to do that. So the amount of inbound interest we were receiving organically driven by the relationships we had already built and driven was almost literally overwhelming to our team. Like we, we had to motor to try to keep up with that demand. Uh, so that, that was one thing that was just huge. We had built the foundation that enabled that before. Uh, but then of course, reacting to that situation with something we had not built was building the digital platform to enable the virtual discussions and thought leadership events that we uh, were hoping to have, but had to plan to have in a completely different way.
1: And, and Michael, with City Possible, so are, are you, is that kind of like you're building that solution and then uh, rolling that out for a lot of, uh, you know, individual cities to kind of take part in? What's kind of the, the marketing uh, strategy behind that particular program?
3: Sure, you know, uh, I mean, the pillars of City Possible truly are, uh, revolve around three things. I mean, number one is the global network of cities. It's, it's really that, that opportunity to convene, a lot of different voices uh, from completely different continents around the world, but share the challenges that they have in common and share uh, the approaches that they've taken to attack those challenges. You know, how, how do we, what's wonderful about the public sector is you're talking to a bunch of people that are not competing with each other. You know, whereas if, if I served say uh, the airline industry or, or another, just any commercial industry, many of your potential clients could be potentially competitors. Um, in the public sector, you have governments who truly want to learn what they can from people who've been through the same trench that they need to get into uh, and learn from it. So um, in answer to your question, yeah, one pillar is that network. Number two, it's uh, a process for co-creation. You know, um, what, what is the, once we've identified a challenge who wants to raise their hand to be part of this working group that's going to help us build a way to attack this challenge. Basically we'll pull in technology partners, we'll pull in the cities that want to participate, etc. And the third part of it is really a, a proven suite of solutions that we know work because we've piloted them, we've tested them. We now have sort of a blueprint for how this can work. Um, and that's all part of it.
1: Well, and it also seems like, uh, you know, thought leadership is part of it, just sharing knowledge, uh, with uh, across the globe so i uh, how important in general is thought leadership in your marketing
3: i mean it, it's for sure it's critical i mean uh, from a marketing perspective you know especially when you're entering a new market and you need to build trust you need to b- build credibility from from the ground up uh, thought leadership was Absolutely 90% of what we focused on um, in the beginning, especially, Uh, and throughout, that's never going to go away. Um, In our case, we really try to focus uh, our thought leadership on the voices of cities. The, The cities and the city leaders and the city innovators, they're the ones we want to shine the spotlight on. And uh, we, we, we act as the facilitator and convener to that. But um, as it matures, you know, once you've built that credibility and built the trust, you're, you're still, of course, continuing the thought leadership because that's adding value to the community and that's, that's core and central. Um, but then you can start looking to other forms of marketing as well, such as you might now start looking into demand generation and uh, experience design and what, what other, what, how do we now progress uh relationships and opportunities through our marketing funnel etc
2: so michael we have a crack team of producers here that like to uh do research before somebody comes on as a guest and one of the interesting things we found out about you was you were a lead singer in a couple of uh, bands in your early (laughs) 20s so i would love to learn a little bit more about what that was all about what kind of music you guys did and if you're still making any music
3: sure yeah yeah you, you found me out um <laughs> I, I did you know i i uh, i went into the music industry because i was hoping to find opportunities like that and it, I, I found some amazing friends and part and buddies uh girls and guys and um my, my first foray into that was forming a within the company of harry fox that i worked with uh, we found about 10 people that were interested in just starting up a funk band so it was a 10-piece funk band with a brass section uh that was a lead singer of Uh, I was in that for a couple years for fun. And then I joined an alternative rock band that was honestly a live wannabe band for those of you on 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 the air who who remember live from the 90s. Um, Yeah. So loved that. But yeah, right now um I'm really into Logic Pro and I'm sitting at the same chair I sit at when I produce and write music. So I, I um right now I'm trying to I'm working on an EP project. Uh, it's called right now. The project name is The Phonic Boom. I, I don't know what my band name is yet, even, but I'm figuring that out. It might be that same name, but it's uh, alternative rock slash future bass. Figuring that out as I go.
2: Yeah, <laughs> that's very cool. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, I want to I dig into that a little bit deeper. I just want to get back to some of the marketing side because, yeah, on the marketing stir, we, we do love to explore ways that you're marketing, what's working for you? Now, I always like to tell our guests there's some secret sauce, don't say it. We have a lot of listeners, especially in the marketing field, but for you, what are some, uh, A, I wanna understand who are some of your targets that you're going after? So uh, for your division, who's an ideal customer for you? You said, uh, you know it ranges from the business side, but understanding is it certain industries? Is it just uh, uh, companies by a certain size? Yeah, and, yeah. and also, what type of marketing are you utilizing so uh, to get in those customers?
3: No, absolutely. You know, I mean, um, the, the process as a marketer and for all of us really here, uh, whether I was at IBM or MasterCard or somewhere else or, or an agency, um, I always think of it as sort of these concentric circles of audiences, um, depending on the goal. So... You know, the biggest circle, the wider circle is, is sort of the massive public. You, you would never go all out trying to market to the massive public. But uh, let's say the, the the first circle, the largest is maybe your influencer community. And they're not going to be your buyers. They're not going to be your decision makers, but they're very much your influencers. And um, and when you're building, building brand awareness and when you want thought leadership to be amplified in some way, uh, that's the community you're trying to. Uh, whose attention you're trying to get, uh, for sure, um, and you're hoping to drive sort of waves of amplification through those that audience. But then digging a little deeper now, like you, you know, your next concentric circle, you have your uh, the folks that report to and inform the C level and VP level audiences. So it might be your directors, it might be your practitioners. You know, the people are on the ground who are like, man, I've got this challenge, and I need a solution for it. I need a technology. I need a platform. I need a way to. Digitize payments so that I can give people who are um, off the grid, who need help because of COVID. I need to find a way, a way to get money to these people. How do, how can I do that when they can't get into a post office because of COVID, et cetera, et cetera? You know, um, so that, that that's like another layer. Um, and you there's a certain there are certain tactics that feed to that. It might be a combination of paid social, it might be search, um, it might be just a really targeted LinkedIn campaign. Um, and then you have your, your your buyers and decision makers and CVP level folks, um, and you know where do they play? They're, they might not be Google searching for a solution, but they might be, uh, you know, swiping through their LinkedIn feed looking for the latest thought leadership or thought leadership paper. It really it really depends on who you're talking to. So we, we try to think of those different categories and levels of people um, who are at different levels of decision making. Uh, power ability, you know, just that process, they might be in a different role in that process and market to them in the right way um, based on what, you know, what resources are they looking at to help them make their decisions.
1: And, and thanks for sharing that, Michael. And uh, one of the other things I want to talk about is kind of the makeup of your marketing team, what kind of makes your team uh, go. And, and uh, to that, I know I'm taking, I, I know each of my questions seem like they're like 11 parts, but I, I'm very curious. So uh, also in addition to that, what are some of the technologies that you're utilizing, some of your tech stack within yeah, that yeah. team that helps you go?
3: Yeah. You know, well, so team is funny because um, especially strategic growth, we it truly is startup-ish. So I, I, there aren't many teams, uh, even at MasterCard, I would say that manage everything from end to end. So I'll I'll give you one example from IBM and then I'll give you an example from what our our, uh, makeup looks like. At IBM, we had a squad um, of people focused on, in my last role of the four, um, focused on the telecommunications and entertainment industry. And um, there, that squad focused on that industry was made up of a product marketing manager, which was me. We had a content director really focused on producing whether uh, video or thought leadership content, articles, et cetera. We had our digital marketing specialist It was really uh, focused on launching campaigns and paid media. And then we had our campaign manager who had sort of a 360 view of uh, different touch points, whether they be digital events, PR, et cetera, making sure that our messages and our assets are consistent across all and all are, be, are being launched um, you know, in synchronicity, et cetera. Um, and it was great. You know, it, it was nice to have that sort of division of role, we would all come together in sort of an agile marketing process. And that, that was one way of doing things. Um, and there are teams that work like that at MasterCard too. It just happens a team I'm on, it's a little more fluid and dynamic. Uh, we don't always have those various, we have those different resources available to us, but very often we have to hunt for them within MasterCard or find the funding for it to look for agency help. Uh, so you know, I, I find myself running events. I find myself building campaigns sometimes by my own hand in LinkedIn, for example. Um, uh, I sometimes will hunt down a graphic designer who can help me create an infographic. So like that, 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 that uh, you know, we, we do do when we're working on content marketing, when we're building an event, when we're building a demand gen campaign. Um, it varies from business to business unit um, uh, based on just how well you know how mature they are in their growth stage, so City Possible is now mature. It's been, been around for two and a half years and they have a dedicated comms resource and a dedicated uh, uh, business team. Whereas some of the other teams I work with uh, don't have that yet. So really, it really varies quite a bit.
2: Michael, one of the questions we like to ask our guests, it's one of our staple questions is, uh, I'm sure you get quite a few messages on LinkedIn And we love to understand what are some of the messages that you respond to? What are some messages that annoy you uh, and general pet peeves?
1: It's our LinkedIn pet peeve question, Michael.
3: Oh boy, that's fun. Um, You know, uh, favorite LinkedIn message. Um, I think like any other human being, like my eyes seem to be drawn to sparkly things. uh, And my attention 100% of the time is absolutely caught and, and maintain when I see some uh, some funky, cool augmented reality or animation tech or demo that's displayed. Um, you know, it, it's if it's moving and it's flashy and it's animated, it catches my attention. Um, I, I still white papers still work on me for some reason. I I download them 100% of the time if they're relevant to me. I still read them only 30% of the time after I've downloaded them. I, you know, I think that's, that's the same for all of us. We always have high hopes for what we're going to consume and actually dive into. And, and that just falls through most of the time. Um, pet peas are any post starting with, I am so humbled and grateful for the opportunity given to me to accept this award by such and such, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, it's, it's like, look, you, <laughs> we know what you're saying, right? I'm the best bound down to me. I've just, uh, you know, <laughs> want something else you, that you haven't, and I'm better. Um, and you know, by the way, for the record, as soon as this, uh, interview is done, the first thing I'm going to do in this is published is say, I am so humbled and feel so grateful for the opportunity to have been selected by, nice. you know, I, I'll be that guy. Um, but, uh. <laughs> But I'm annoyed when I see it elsewhere. <laughs> you know, in, in truth, in defense of those folks, there's somebody needs to invent a new way to share a wonderful news and share the victory you've experienced without a uh, without using the word humble, because there's nothing <laughs> humble about it.
2: <laughs> That's a good point. I, I always kind of struggle because uh, for people, it's, me, hard. it's good to put an award out on LinkedIn, but uh, you you don't want to be like, "Hey, look at me." we
3: we all want to share it. How do you, so how do you, how do you share it without obviously sharing it? I I don't know. I don't know. I
1: have have some ways. I have ways. Yeah. Yeah. But when I won this, uh, I'm sorry, AJ, I'll let you uh, answer that next, ask the next question. But when I won this award, it was this rising star award. AJ actually received one as well when we were at different companies. Um, I was four, it was 40 and under Michael. It was the rising star 40 years old and under. Mm -hmm. I was 40 years old. When I received it, it was June. And in August, I would have been 41. So I was like the <laughs> oldest rising star in history. You know what I said? I was like, well, it's about time. I was like, what <laughs> took you so long? I didn't say I was humbled. I was like, rising star. I was like, you know, I, I, I believe I did say that on the stage or in, nice. in, in something. I was like, what took you guys so long? So anyway, go ahead AJ.
2: <laughs> no, I think yeah, he he definitely felt like he had risen by then and it was almost offensive to give him. Yeah. He, I mean, he's almost uh, qualified for what we call Silver Apple, which means uh, <laughs> uh, silver hair and uh what is it, 20 or 30 years?
1: Uh 25 years in the 25 industry. 25 Maybe I'll be the youngest the Silver year. Apple award winner Michael and I was the oldest. Uh, yeah, the oldest not- rising star in our industry, there's like these two awards, but not that awards mean anything.
3: That's right. Yeah, I think I saw a great uh, a 30 Rock episode that had uh, uh, Liz Lemon was winning the 80 Under 80 Award. Um, they thought it was just, just hilarious. It's great. I love
1: it. I love it. Yep, I remember that. I love that show. So go ahead, AJ. I, I, I was jumped in front of you with my uh, you know, non-humbleness there.
2: No, it's all right. Uh, your, your humor is what we live for, Vincent. Mm-hmm. Thank you. What's kind of a cool? What's coming up in 2021? Anything new and exciting happening within your department or the company?
3: Uh, man, I, I mean, we yes, I, I can't really share something, something that we can share for any of it. <laughs> um, uh, you know, it's it's all honestly new businesses and new business models um, that are just maturing. So internally, we've got things baking all the time. Um, Uh, that I'm extremely excited about. Uh, But in in terms of what we can share, you know, we we recently launched um, a strategic growth-wide campaign uh, around um, our One Billion initiative, as well as an In Solidarity initiative. Uh, The One Billion initiative is all about work that MasterCard has underway. And again, I, I should probably give some kind of disclaimer. I am not Representing most MasterCard's voice and presenting this, uh, you know, the, these opinions are my own, et cetera, et cetera, because I might not be communicating this as clearly as someone else at MasterCard could. But we're, we're, we're really launching some really cool stuff at MasterCard. Uh, the In Solidarity effort and initiative is sort of our work to um, help address racial uh, inequity, which I think is a phenomenal initiative. Um, uh, the One Billion Initiative, something we also announced last year has a lot of stuff happening this year that's going to be progressing and growing that, um, being more aggressive about it. Um, MasterCard is really wonderful about putting its money where its mouth is. Its mantra is doing well by doing good. And we we literally live by that. Um, so there's just amazing stuff happening. Um, as far as other business units, enterprise partnerships that I, I do a lot of work with, um, You know, there are just a lot of new digital things that are launching that I'm excited about, uh, coming out in Q2, Q3, can't wait. Um, a lot of work, work underway. I wish I could share more of it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Tell us all your secrets, Michael, what are you going to be doing in these next, well, now, uh, well, Michael, I want to touch upon something that you said, because you you kind of found startup culture in one of the biggest companies in the world, right? So talk to us about, did that draw you to the job? what, do you, do you like that aspect of it? Talk to me a little bit about it.
3: It did, it did. You know, So when I was working at, at IBM, um, I actually had one of my all-time favorite jobs at IBM at that time. Um, I, I had a great team, I had a great product, wonderful, just wonderful people all around me uh, doing incredible things in AI and blockchain and the entertainment industry and telecom industry. Uh, so I was not, I was really not in a place where I wanted to move. Uh and I, I was convinced to just have a call with someone and and heard the pitch as to what City Possible was doing, what strategic growth was involved in, and the initiatives underway to do things that genuinely benefited the world. Uh, so um um, you know, really that that, that mantra I mentioned, uh, doing well by doing good. It, it's something that the CEO uh, who, who is no longer CEO as of uh, December, we've actually just had a, a recent CEO switch um, going from one amazing person to another amazing person. Um, um, both CEOs really hold that mantra to their hearts dearly. And, and so everything that we work on, everything that position always has a slant that's benefiting a community or country or people somewhere. Um, and that is extremely attractive to me. And You, you want to wake up every morning not dreading like, oh, man, I'm about to sell something that's just going to hurt someone <laughs> somewhere um, or just not benefiting someone anywhere. You know, uh, you know that, that, that's number one. So that was wonderful uh, about the role. I mean, this, the second thing that was wonderful um, about this is, yeah, you know, I love being stretched. I mean, I think we all love being stretched and feeling like we're being challenged in a new way every quarter uh, because I work with seven or eight different teams that are working in completely different industries on completely different points of the spectrum of, you know, from mature business to just proving out a new business model. Um, That's huge. I mean, that just feels like uh, that's an opportunity to exercise every muscle in my body, every skill set that I've learned throughout my 17-year marketing career, from wearing my growth marketing hat, uh, where I'm just in a trench building a campaign from scratch with my own hands, to building multi- tier messaging frameworks to organize the way we think about how we uh guide uh, companies our new clients or our partners as they enter an industry themselves or, or as they transform an industry with us um you know it's just i love that you know mix between corporate culture and growth hacker it's just uh, you can't find that in every job
1: i i like that it's a great way to describe it so uh michael the part of the job is it involved traveling I'm, I'm sure obviously that's ceased if not uh if it does involve traveling what you know what are your plans to get back out there
3: yeah yeah no it, it definitely has you know pandemic time not so much but um it was before so uh in the year prior in, in 2019 uh, just to paint a picture, I. Um, it was actually a pretty fun year. I got to go to Barcelona for one event, usually to run events that I travel yeah. for. So uh, there, uh, we, we had an event in uh, Smart City Expo Barcelona, which is great. Uh, I also went to Hawaii for the US Conference of Mayors, which nice. is nice. Um, and uh, um, South by Southwest in Austin was something that we were looking at at the time. So um, definitely, usually around usually events, industry focused events um, that we're diving into. In the future, will we be doing that? You know, now now it's in, it's it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see where things go, especially for public sector facing businesses. You know, for governments especially, uh, T and is just strapped. Travel and entertainment is just always always a struggle for those um, uh, folks and teams that we try to work with. And now that everybody's adopting uh, virtual as a great way to go and engage more consistently and more easily. Um, I could see a public sector being way more virtual heavy in the future because budgets are strapped. They, you know, these are teams that don't have budgets to easily throw around. Uh, but for others, I could see it definitely going more virtual again. I mean, there's just something to be said for what happens uh, in face-to-face environments. Uh, uh, we find, I, I find, I mean, I'm sure we all find that um, now when you attend a virtual event, even if it's a day long thing or two day long thing, You're very much focused on the panels that are happening. Um, It's really hard to find opportunities to meet people for just quick chats and quick conversations. Um, I I know for one event that was recently um, in as a sponsor, for example, we had a virtual booth um, and we also had a speaker on a panel and we didn't have a single visitor to a virtual booth. We made sure it was manned. And, uh, and, and that's just the reality of it. You know, uh, There was another event I was on where we had a huge digital experience that was built. And I think maybe 20 or 30% of the audience that participated in the, the content that was being served up as the, the panels and speakers, et cetera, um, you know, that participation was great, huge, great engagement with that live uh, content. But the virtual demos, experiences, et cetera, probably saw 20% of the attendance. So, you know, virtual is tough. It, it's hard to get people to to just really engage with them with a handshake and a face-to-face converse, conversation. Um, I think physical events will definitely be back at some point, um, when and where will really just depend on how comfortable we are as a planet <laughs> um, and, and doing that again.
2: Michael, what kind of marketing strategies are you using to promote those events and, uh, You know, are there a certain marketing software or stacks that you uh, really like?
3: Yeah, so so that depends on whether you're you're running an owned event or whether you're running um, an event where you're essentially, you know, buying in or partnering with an existing industry leader. Uh, It's run completely differently, right? If if you're partnering with an industry leader, you really hope that they have a huge built-in audience already um, and you're leveraging very much those channels as part of maybe a sponsorship package or something like that. So it, that might be leveraging email and display and content resources, things that that industry partner might already have. Um, if it's an own event, you're doing that yourself. You, you need to build a, your own audience from scratch. And if you don't already have an audience, uh, that can be a real challenge. So you, you kind of have to think, you have to work back from how many people do I want to be at this event, what would be a success for me? That's like the first question that you have to answer. And then once you know, let's just say it's hundred, maybe it's a thousand, then it's like, okay, knowing what my cost per attendee is, you might not know what that is yet if you haven't done it yet. Um, You have to try to estimate it. Uh, What budget do I have to run in search or LinkedIn or paid social or display or perhaps on an industry uh, publication that's online? Um, what is going to be on my marketing mix and which are more efficient than others to get to the end goal of the audience that I want to build. Um, and then, of course, beyond that, you also have to think of your concentric circles. you my influencer community versus my buying decision maker community versus my practitioner community. What mix of those three kinds of people do I want to reach and which channels and touch points make the most sense. To reach out to those. So it's it's a little bit of a a, um, a a three plate balance of where do I throw my money at based on the budget I have. Um, if, if I don't have a big budget to do that, and if I'm starting from scratch, is it going a little smaller? Maybe it's not a huge public event. Maybe it's more of a, a round table or a series of round tables. And it's almost more of an ABM account-based marketing approach where you're like, hey, you know, I'm just going to go after these 10 or 15 accounts. Um, I'm going to reach out to them. There, there are a lot of new um, 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 sort of agency startups who specialize in building these roundtables that are focused on bringing 10 people into right. webinar conference. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm hit with those weekly now. Um, it was cool at first, and now it's like, okay, do you want to spend an hour and a half of my time even if I have a $20 lunch voucher? I don't know, maybe, maybe not. But you know, in other words, there are these new opportunities to get really focused around trying to get specific accounts in the door. And maybe that's the way to go before you go for the full event. So it, a lot of it depends on your end goal. Um, if, if you truly wanna create a splash and build big brand awareness, you probably do wanna go bigger. Bigger audience requires a bigger budget. Um, and it, By the way, requires a huge amount of time to, to build something like that. So maybe, is it an own event or is it a, an existing event I want to buy into? You, you have to weigh all those things.
2: I have a question. I've been kind of curious about it about these roundtables. So, from a solutions provider side, you know, they come to companies like us, and they want us to pay to a certain amount, like a PR fee, right? But from a brand side, is it they are they offering some incentive to the people on the brand side to participate in those panels? Is that how they're You know, I haven't
3: them- I haven't actually looked into it as an advertiser yet. Um, um, I. I, I I think I might just to see to see what it looks like, but from what I can tell, uh, because I, I I participated in a few, honestly, just to just to explain, I, I want to see what the channel, how the channel worked. I like to test out new things. That was, it seems to be like something new and emerging. It's an hybrid, a hybrid hybrid between an event and a digital experience. And, but it's one step away from an actual sales engagement. But yeah, it, it seems that, um, and the models seem to vary because I, I tend to ask the person I'm speaking to, hey, so, what do you do here? Like, who are you paying? Who pays who? <laughs> what do you get out of it? I, I just, I, I probe and I uh, try to get the secret sauce. You know, um, and it, it seems that companies are paying for it and are told, look, this is a, they're being sold to, as, as I understand it, it's a research opportunity. You can you can ask a lot of different people in different disciplines within the industry you're um, exploring a lot of questions about what you do, what are your challenges, et cetera, to help inform and drive how you're going to position and message to your own products. So it might be a good thing to do if you're about to launch something new. Yeah. Um, yes, you could be tempted to make it a lead generation opportunity, but we really strongly discourage you to do that and we don't want you to sell to anyone. So it, so in the things I've participated in, they try to be non-salesy and they don't like hound me much after the round table, um, which is great because if I were to be hounded, I would be very annoyed. Honestly, I, I, I just... The last thing I want to do is find myself trapped into a timeshare. You know, I don't know if you've been one of these timeshare things. Yeah, yeah. Oh, like, yeah. hey, come to lunch for an hour. And it turns into this six-hour-long just nightmare where you would just want to go on your vacation. I, 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 I've, I've done one of these, like, two and three nights at, in the Bahamas or Florida. It's free. And you're locked into this day-long thing where you're, you're just handcuffed to this event. Mm-hmm. That would That's where these things are very close to being and I think they're very conscious of that. So they try very hard into forcing uh, whoever's paying for it, not to sell, not to hound, not to even like really even suggest a lead gen opportunity. And I think that's critical because that would make it super painful, super fast and no one would ever do it again. <laughs> so they have to be, they have to like straddle that and be, make sure it's giving value to the around the, the people at the table, meaning hear from your peers about the challenges they're facing, et cetera. Um, Throw in a $20 lunch lunch voucher, and hopefully everybody's happy at the end of the day. And I I feel like in some cases it's worked, in some cases it's not, and that's sort of a newer thing that's emerging. It's interesting. I'd like to see where that goes. We'll see.
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's funny. The I don't want to be locked into a timeshare to like uh, Del Boca Vista after that. That's uh, I remember when I went to Mexico these last two years with my in-laws. They have a timeshare already that they bought years ago, but they get sucked into this like day-long thing and it's like yeah you get like a free buffet lunch it's delicious and i'm glad i don't have to sit through it but my father-in-law just has to sit through this thing every time and i'm like jeff why do you do this let's yeah. just pay for the lunch yeah. like come, you know it's just, it's the, that's right you know, the conversion I, I rate is good we're okay you know
3: i will never forget the pain you know we were on a, a six-day vacation um and it was like oh you know free jet ski uh voucher i was like all right yeah i'll do it and it was, it was just painful. We, we, we got on a bus. We, we were forced to take tours of these uh, apartments. And by, by after four, I think it was, I swear it was four or five hours. By by the end of that, I just wanted to rip yeah. the voucher up. And like, you know, I only have six days here. Like, I don't want to waste yeah. a day doing this.
1: And then it's like uh, 15 minutes on a jet ski. That, exactly. uh, yeah, it's, uh, exactly. no, so. I get it. Well, Michael, we're almost out of time, but I want to talk yeah. more about this music. Now. I want to get into this, you know, the, the personal side of you there. So sure. is your, do you like the writing aspect, the playing of the music, the singing? What What's kind of your forte, or is it all three? Uh,
3: all three, all three. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I, uh, I was in an acapella group in college, That one of my best experiences ever. Um, but also, I play guitar, um, I record and produce, and I've been getting more into electronics so um electronic sound synthesis so now i try to mix in both acoustic sounds just recording with an old school microphone and but also producing uh just experimenting with sound design as well um it's been a lot of fun yeah
1: that's cool and that's uh that acapella group he's referring to is the colgate 13 ladies and gentlemen (laughs) i told you we have a crack team here michael and and then there's some you know is your favorite music is it uh all over the place, like, like like my tastes are, or is it kind of you have it narrowed down to a few different genres?
3: You know, I, I still love alternative rock, um, absolutely. Still, always have, always will. I I got into over the last you know ten years. I, I've added to that. So um, emo, dashboard confessionals. Uh, now I've, I, I'm into things like um, I, I love Imagine Dragons. I love yeah. Twenty One Pilots, um, but I also love now like. Future Bass is something I didn't know about uh, a year earlier, but like Elenium, if you've heard of that at all, or Griffin. um, These are bands that have smaller, but really diehard fans. It's sort of like, honestly, it's combining, it's it's some hybrid between EDM, electronic dance music, and alternative rock. And it's meeting in the middle somewhere where it's like sound sound design, sound synthesis, but also just old school, like Hard vocals, etc. It's it's a good space. I love it. <laughs> That's
1: cool. That's cool. And yeah. That's cool. No, it's uh, you know interesting. We have a lot of people on uh, on our team, and even on this podcast. Like I said, I I I love uh, you know my uh, hobby is you know I love stand up comedy, and I love you know, right. the performance of it, the writing of it. So yeah. Good. I learned a little bit about music today too. I have uh, a you know, future base. I have n- I did not know that. I'm sure our producers, at least two of them probably uh, Vin and Valerie know what that, that music is. Jared's our age. So he probably doesn't know, but hey, <laughs> anyway, but no, Michael, this has been great. We really appreciate you spending time with us here on the marketing stir. I love, uh, you know, everything we talked about and uh, getting to know you personally and a big shout out to the Colgate 13. If you're listening, we love you. Absolutely. And uh, this has been amazing. Thank you so much, Michael. That is the Global Marketing Director, Strategic Growth at MasterCard. Michael, Lieutenant, I'm Vincent. That's AJ. This has been another episode of the Marketing Stir. Thank you so much and have a great day.
0: Thanks for listening to the Marketing Stir podcast by Starista. Please like, rate, and subscribe. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, email us at info at Thanks for listening.